We open the curtain on an argument. It's been going on a little while now, a couple of hundred years. It all started in the third century when the rabbi Reish Lakish, sorry, really it was a century before that. Reish Lakish was just commenting on what Rebbe Meir said in the second century to the sages of the Mishnah. No, I lied. The sages of the Mishnah were only explaining what the Torah said. You know, if I keep going like this, we're going to be back at Sinai. So let's start in Mediarez. Do you remember in Mediarez from 8th grade English? It's Latin for in the middle of the thing. Instead of being told everything you need to know beforehand, you just experience things as they happen and figure out the earlier part of the story from context. It's a literary technique that drops you right into the action. If there was a book and it took a year to read, seven years to read, a lifetime to read. If there was a book and each page contained centuries. If there was a book and that book was burned over and over and over again, would you read it? I'm Mo Martin, and this is Radio Free Babylonia. So back to our argument. Well, it's kind of a one-sided affair. We start with a verse from Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible. What's the meaning of the passage in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 7? I took for myself two staffs. One was named Comfort and the other Injury. Rev Oshaya explains, Comfort means the rabbis of the land of Israel, who comfort one another with Torah. Injury means the rabbis of Babel, the land of Babylon, who injure one another with their Torah. No, says Rabbi Yitzhak. The difference is more like a vision of Zechariah's involving olive oils and olive trees. The students of the sages of the land of Israel teach Torah that soothes, like olive oil. But in Babel, the Torah is bitter, like olive trees. Or maybe it's like Rabbi Yochanan in the name of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said, Sanctimony and arrogance descended to Babylon. But could this really be? Didn't the bulk of arrogance in the world famously come to Persia, not Babylon? No, says the Gomorrah. Arrogance moved to Persia eventually, but it first made landfall in Babel. Well, then why, if all the arrogance is in Persia, asks a teacher, are they so poor in Babylon? After all, doesn't arrogance cause poverty? Ah, says the Gomorrah, arrogance causes poverty of learning. Persia might be poor in learning, but why even call it Babylon? Rabbi Yochanan playfully answers, babbling Torah, babbling Mishnah, babbling Talmud. Because what does the Book of Lamentations mean when it says, He has placed me in darkness like the eternally dead? Rabbi Yermia says, This is the Babylonian Talmud. Confused? So am I. Well, like we just said, nothing but babbling in Babylonia. I mean, the pun's a little bit different in 3rd century Palestinian Aramaic, but 
you get the idea. But that's the point. It's the Palestinian rabbis making the jokes. And that's the confusing part. Where are the Babylonians in this fight? Is it even a fight? It's just a bunch of Israelis smack-talking diaspora Jews. Sorry, those terms were a little anachronistic. It's a bunch of Palestinian rabbis smack-talking their colleagues in Babylon. And that's where Enmedia Rez, from 8th grade English, comes in. Just like most 8th graders, or 20 or 30 or 60-somethings, we're lost and confused. We've wandered onto the stage halfway through the action, and we're trying to play catch-up. So the things you need to know are, the Palestinian community of rabbis made these disparaging remarks about Babylonian rabbis in the 3rd century CE. At the time, they were by far the more established group of scholars. But the book in which we read these insults is called the Babylonian Talmud for a reason. That's because it was compiled in Babylon in the 6th century, at which point in time the Babylonian community had far outstripped the much-diminished Palestinian community in learning. So here's my question. You're a Babylonian sage, compiling the Talmud for posterity. Why do you include a 300-year-old discussion that does nothing but insult you and your scholarship? Well, option one. Let's call it the conservationist answer. Judaism at this time is an oral culture. Oral cultures preserve things. They're like society-sized versions of hoarders, just storing up received wisdom in hopes that it'll come in handy. A distinct possibility in the days before the printing press. At first glance, the hoarder's theory seems uninteresting. Irrelevant to us when we have access to the internet or hell to books. Why should I, a 21st century Jew, have to memorize anything? Especially if it insults me. The motivations of the Babylonian sages are obtuse. What value is there in cluttering the head with odd sayings, out of time and out of place? But there is a value to working to keep something alien around in your head, to holding on to a foreign idea and rotating it until it fits word for word in some nook or cranny of your brain. That's something we as moderns could do more of. Maybe the Babylonians just believed the past was a foreign country worth visiting. But the problem with the idea that the Babylonian rabbis are just dutifully memorizing every piece of wisdom from Israel is that it's a really good answer. Here at Radio Free Babylonia, we believe in mimicking the Talmud as much as possible, and as such, would rather stick with a good question than give in to the tyranny of a good answer. Another option, perhaps it's good old-fashioned self-loathing, or, to be more generous, self-effacement, or humility. These are, after all, the rabbis who composed the morning prayer, Ma'anachnu, Mechayenu. What are we? What are our lives? The rabbis who said that humanity was created on the last day so that we could be rebuked by the fact that the smallest gnat was created before us. This aggressive self-effacement knew no bounds. In the tractate Nadarim, when Rebbe Tarfon, an early 2nd century Eretz Yisrael rabbi, is held at knife point and thrown in a sack, Tarfon starts moaning, Woe to Tarfon! This is a thing in the Talmud. People used to refer to themselves in the third person more. Woe to Tarfon, whom this man is about to murder, he cries. Tarfon the sage, the kidnapper exclaims, and drops the sack and runs off. Tarfon spent the rest of his life regretting that he had used his reputation as a scholar for such a pathetic cause as saving his own life.
Later on in the Darim, the Talmud condemns those who study with the goal of saying, I'll be a rabbi, I'll be an elder, I'll be a sage. Just study, it says. Honor will come. There's certainly something admirable, if slightly obsessive, about rabbinic humility. I actually studied under a rabbi who wrote a whole book about it, and, more importantly, lived with a great deal of humility. There was a beauty and grace to his quietude, his self-evasion, and even self-nullification. When he taught, you felt as if he'd gotten out of the way of the words and was just letting wisdom shine through. When he prayed, I don't know if he'd like me saying this, but when he prayed, it was like a great holy silence spread out from him. And he made the whole world, for that moment, warm and kind and full of light. So maybe it's not surprising that the later Babylonian rabbis would try to live up to Tarfon's ideal and refuse to even acknowledge themselves as sages, using the words of the Eretz Yisrael rabbis to put themselves down. But while humility is a powerful pursuit and a holy tool, I don't think most of us know how to use it. We're wrapped up in ourselves. Even those of us who spend long hours agonizing over every action we put out there, judging and afflicting ourselves for saying the wrong thing, eating too many calories, not being smart or kind or good enough. It's still all about us. And I don't want to knock that egotism, partially because I'm so self-involved and partially because I think it's human nature to be so and can only be conquered through great effort. So if humility isn't attainable for most of us, what lesson can we learn from the Talmudic insults the Babylonian rabbis heap on themselves? Well, let's look at the content of those insults a little more. What were they again? The Babylonians teach bitter Torah. They're always fighting, and their Torah is all mixed up. Okay, bitter Torah. But isn't there a certain truth to bitterness? Life isn't all sweetness and light. In the first tractate of the Talmud, it's mentioned that the word covenant, as in the holy covenant with God, is mentioned in the Bible next to the word salt and next to the word suffering. What's the connection between these two words? Salt makes meat taste more like itself. Suffering makes life what it is. So the Torah of Babylon is bitter? So what? So is everything else on this earth. Without bitterness... Sweetness isn't worth much. As for always fighting, Rabbi Chama bar says, the psalmist's image, iron sharpens iron, refers to Torah scholars studying together. Even the supposedly gentle Palestinian scholars, Reish Lakish and Rabbi Meir, are described as grinding down mountains. This isn't a peaceful image. Learning isn't a peaceful process. You have to have pain and violence. And the last claim? That they teach mixed-up Torah? Good. That way you get a little bit of everything. Torah is a whole world, after all. Mix up Abraham and Moses. Mix up the past and the future. Mix up Torah for everybody. And what's more, maybe humility is the wrong answer. Not just for me, the selfie-snapping, self-obsessed millennial that I am. But it's also the wrong answer for the rabbis. Maybe the Babylonians weren't humbled or cowed by these insults. Maybe they were proud of them. We're like this now in my native New York. Proud of how loud, how obnoxious, how abrasive and interfering we are. Even proud of how dangerous we are. 
What's that Rick says in Casablanca? Well, there are certain sections of New York, Major, that I wouldn't advise you to try to invade. It's part of our appeal. It's practically a tourist attraction. Come to New York. Get yelled at by some real assholes. Don't like it? Good. Leave. We love it. This sort of scrappy self-love was always a background to New York, but really took off in the 80s, when the city was recovering from decades of urban decay and neglect. It gave us something to be proud of. And maybe that's what the Babylonians were looking for. A chance to redeem themselves. A chance to own their identity as the exile community, the, the dummies to the east, the bad scholars. In this day and age, maybe that's still a viable strategy. To take all the bad stuff life hurls at us and save it. Cherish it. Learn from it. We are born in media res, in the middle of the action. So many of the mistakes we live with, take responsibility for, were made long before us and haunt our lives. As a child, my mom was called a Christ killer, long before she even knew what being Jewish meant. We're called names, assumptions are made about us, places in society are appointed for us, all based on something we weren't around for. We live in media res. Maybe we could all pick up the insults that have come our way, the identities carved out for us by shame and oppression, and make them our own. I'll go first. I spend too much time navel-gazing. I need to get out of my head and do something with my life. But what do those words really mean? Maybe they just mean I'm thoughtful. But I do spend too much money. Maybe that means I'm generous and I enjoy life. Well, I'm angry all the time. Angry that the world's not a better place. Angry that people are in so much pain. Angry that I can't do anything but pray and pray and pray until my mouth aches. Well, maybe that just means I'm a Jew. I think the Babylonian sages were masterminds of reclaiming toxic identities. And I think there are still Jews who need this kind of sneering half-sarcastic, utterly beautiful acceptance of their so-called faults. Woe to Mo Martin, who is one of them. of Radio Free Babylonia was written and performed by Mo Martin. Our audio engineer was Michael Shane. Special thanks to Harry Waxberg, Zach Lerner, Rico Altman-Marino, Eric Gorovich, Avi Gerlich, Josh Schwartz, and Davisi Kalman. Radio Free Babylonia was produced and edited by me, Michal Richardson, for Jewish Public Media, which creates Jewish media for all audiences and is supported by Next and Natan. If you like this episode, get in touch with us at RadioFreeBabylonia.org. While you're there, check out Talking in Shul, 
a roundtable of brilliant and witty ladies discussing Jewish topics that matter. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and just about any way you listen to podcasts. We're everywhere. But we'd love it if you'd subscribe and rate us in iTunes. It actually helps. Thank you.